what a great honor we have to gather together and uh, be his community of believers that he lets us uh, jump in and in serving him. You know, I came across a quote that kind of uh, shook me uh, a while ago. Um, uh, well, I guess it was only last week I came across it, but it, here it is. Life is 90% maintenance and 10% living. And I don't know if that figure is accurate or not, but I get the point of what the author is trying to communicate there. Uh, we spend an awful lot of time in working and sleeping and eating and driving and going to school or, or whatever you're doing. We spend a lot of time doing that. That's kind of the maintenance part, the going through the motions of what you just have to do. And then the point being made is that only a small percentage of our time is really used um, in what is called something full of life, something that is different and moves us. And as we come down to this home stretch in our book of uh, James that we're going through, um, we're going to be talking about something that is really important. The name of our series, we've called this book of uh, James, is Building Genuine Faith That Works. We all know faith uh, and have faith that uh, we hope will work. Sometimes you see it in others, and it's, I would call it plastic faith or religious faith, and that's really not what James is about at all. He wants to say, here is faith you can count on. Not just saving faith, but enabling faith that allows you to move forward. And um, so, you know, as we go in this time of living um, that is... Uh, we, we may not call really living, we call it maintenance. It's the boring stuff of merely maintaining life. And James is going to challenge us in a lot of different ways on how you can live your tomorrows. We think we know what tomorrow holds. You know, we, well, you know why we think we know what tomorrow holds? Because it seems to be same old, same old. It seems to be that we do the same repetitive thing over and over again. But our tomorrows can be radically different if we stop trying to just always control them and plan them the way we want. And the way that we can hope to see change is because we know the one who holds our tomorrows. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time that we can get together as kids. Thank you, Father, for your great kindness that you want to show us things that we've been missing. I thank you that you had James write about our tomorrows. I thank you, Lord, that we can have more of life instead of just going through repetitive stuff. I thank you that you want to expose how that can happen. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you want to show us the areas where we are... Um, we're just going through the motions. And you made us, you invented us, you formed us, you birthed us for something more in joining you, what you're doing. And so, God, I just ask that you would open our eyes right now. You would allow us to connect dots that you want to expose in your word. 
I ask, O oh God, that you will help us see our tomorrows different because we encountered what you had James write about. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm always looking for growth. I think that's just part of how I am. Um, we just heard about George looking to lift just a little bit more. Um, I think that in school you want to do just a little bit better. Um, I think in work you want that little extra advancement. As a mom or a dad, you want your child to make that little extra push forward and, and so on. We can go through those different elements. But we find ourselves trapped in sometimes a continuous cycle of repetitiveness. But God wants to show us something in our tomorrows. He wants to provide insight. He wants to provide confidence in the decisions you make. He wants to provide purpose as you go through your day. Sometimes I think we go through our day and we see meaninglessness, meaninglessness, uh, because it was repetitive. And he wants to reveal to us how to do things. Now, sometimes you would say, well, if he wants to reveal, how, how does he do that? Well, first it starts with us seeking him. I know that's, that sounds okay. Well, get on with the main point, Pat. Well, the main point is we need to seek him if we want to hear him. We need to seek him if we want to hear him. And so the question becomes, why don't we seek him at the beginning of our day so we can hear him? And we may think this, we probably aren't going to say it out our mouth, but it's because, well, it takes too much time to listen and wait on him. And so we don't do it. And yet I would say to you, you know, if, if, uh, if there was a way that you could really know you're hearing God, wouldn't you do it? Because he knows our tomorrows, every aspect. And you may say, well, wait a second, why is it so important that, that I know my tomorrow? I mean, I think I got it covered. I, I get up, I eat, I go to work, I come home, I play with the kids, and then I go to bed and I do it all over again. What, what's, what's there to know? But the fact is, we don't know what's going to happen that our president or Congress might put upon us. We don't know what a foreign nation is going to do. We don't know what's going to happen with the principal of the school on that next day. We don't know if we're going to suddenly get a cough and get sick. We don't know things that are going to happen that are beyond our control. He does. He knows every aspect of our tomorrow. And so, I know for me, I have to be deliberate if I want to tune in to God. It doesn't happen by accident. Nobody gets successful in any area of their life, raising children in your profession, in your school, by accident. You don't stumble into success. You did it because you were deliberate. And so it is with getting connected to God and having him do something in our life by default we kind of just go through the motions so it has to be a deliberate changing of the patterns of what we're doing so i'm just going to read most of the scripture we're going to go through 
um, just in one piece. So let's look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. And we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. So that's where we're headed, but we're going to break it down a little piece by piece, so let me start with that first verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town, and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Pat, are you saying that making a plan is ungodly? Absolutely not. That's good. It's promoted. Look at King Solomon. He is said to be the wisest and richest man who ever lived at that time. And so he talks to us in Proverbs about planning. It's a good thing to plan. But he does say that the Lord directs our steps. We can plan our ways, but the Lord is going to direct our steps. And then there's Jesus. He tells this parable about, it was kind of a little sarcasm. He's saying, who goes and builds a tower and doesn't plan first if they have enough resources to complete it? That's one of the things Jesus said. Is like, who's going to start a building project and they haven't figured out if they have enough money to finish this thing? or the people, or the lumber, or whatever. I mean, that makes no sense. Jesus is not against planning. Solomon is not against planning. Planning in and of itself is a good thing. The problem is, when we live our life and we do our plans apart from interaction with God, that's where the problem comes. And so I would say, what do you do? Let's just make this multiple choice. Do you build a plan of how you want your day, your life, your week, your year to go, and submit it to God and say, Lord, will you like uh, bless it? I don't know if any of you saw the first Rocky movie. It was, it was um, if you didn't, I mean, that's godly. You got to go watch the Rocky movies. But at any rate, so... Rocky Balboa goes up to, to, his, um, uh, to his Catholic church, and the pastor was there, and, and he looks up in the church, and he says, uh, Father, throw down a blessing to me. And throw down a blessing. And I think sometimes we, we joke about that, but maybe we do the same thing. God, here's my plan. Would you like bless it? Bless it, Lord. Ask him to bless it. That's something that we sometimes do. We may not say that, but that's what our life shows. 
Maybe we ask him to, uh, would you tell me what you want? But we're a little impatient. We just keep on going with our life. Sometimes he tells us, and I actually listen to it, meaning I hear it. And then I weigh it out. Hmm. Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? See, God is not a man. He is God. He knows our tomorrows. And yet, for some way, we weigh out whether we want to do what he just kindly exposed. That's not good. We just, uh, or we go talk to another person, and we let, get their opinion. So we shop God's opinion. We shop their opinion. And then we think about it ourselves, and we make a decision on what to do. You know, I don't think God gets nauseated, but if he did get nauseated, he'd probably get nauseated about that. He would probably say, are you kidding me? I don't give an opinion. I give you the truth. If you ask me a question, I expose to you the truth. Why do you shop that? Why do you consider if you're going to do it? And yet we do. Unfortunately, I can give you way too many as I was thinking I was going to insert an illustration here. And I thought, oh my goodness, I got so many illustrations where I do that. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. But I want to say to you, I, I don't even have to give you an illustration. You know you do that too. And we have got to get to the point where we arrest ourselves a little bit from these ways of making our own plans. It's kind of like this. Let's go on a family vacation. Let's go here. Let's do this. And I never consult my wife on what she wants to do. Um, it's like, let's have a kid's fun day, and I'm going to plan it. And the kids say, that wasn't fun at all. You designed a fun day, and it wasn't fun. It was, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't fun for us. And so, in a very similar way, that happens with our Lord. He wants to share with us, and yet we presume that we know the right way. Here's why we do that. There, as I look out here, I see a lot of godly people. I see a lot of people that know God. I see a lot of people who try and follow God. And here's the trip up. Because I'm a godly person and I want to do God's will, then I make the assumption that everything I think is God's will. That's not a good assumption. I need to make sure that I test it by his word. I need to make sure that it's him and not just me because I'm a, I have godly character. So everything I decide is good. That'll put you, by the way, into strife with your spouse all the time. Because guess what? They're godly and you're godly. And somehow you're thinking two different things. That you got to get on the same page. Now that's never happened to most of you, right? <laughs> now this Wednesday, I'll be married 43 years to this wonderful lady here. And... Uh, you know, 
So that shows the character trait of perseverance and um, uh, endurance on her part. Uh, so, um, you know, just because godly people think a thought doesn't make it come from God. We need to measure it against the word. We need to measure it against the spirit of God. It, it, because if we don't, we, we have to know, look no further than our family to see that that's not always the case. We have to work together to discover what we should do. We cannot presume that since we're God, basically godly people, that all our ideas are God's. We have to bring it to him. We have to seek what he thought, thinks. Verse 14, the next one. Let's just jump into that one. How do you know? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? I'm going to just stop in the middle of the sentence here. Um, I said this a little bit earlier. I don't know certain aspects. And most of my life has been in the business world. And so I don't know for certainty that my vendor is going to have the service or the, pro the raw materials that I need when it's time to run the press. I don't know that that's going to happen. He does. I don't know that my big customer has been courted for by my competitor and I'm going to lose my biggest customer tomorrow. I don't know that. I don't know that my wife may have a headache and she needs me to care for her instead of me just keeping on, keeping on. I don't know. I don't know the aspects of my tomorrow, but he does. And so I need to tap into what he says. I don't know what tomorrow will hold, but he does. And I know it seems like I'm just spending a lot of time on this one point, but we act like we know. We make decisions like we know. We carry on as if we know, and we don't consult the one who knows our tomorrows, the one who brings meaning to life. And then it says, your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a while, then it's gone. You know, I live on a lake. And certain times, uh, the hot air and the cold air collide. And all I can see from my house is the front edge of the lake. I can't see the lake. I can't see what's on the other side of the lake. It's just gone. But I know there is something out there, but I don't know it. And when I first moved to that house and I started seeing that, but you've driven and you've seen the same way where you can't, it's hard to see the taillights in front of you on a thick fog. But sooner or later, the sun burns it off and it's gone. Everything can be clear. But he's saying your life is like a morning fog. And you might look and you might say, well, what, is, what do I do? Well, there's only one who knows the future. There's only one who knows your future. And you might say, well, this is kind of heavy, Pat. I mean, you're, 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 you're talking about... Uh, things that are heavy, like, you know, 
I could be gone in a short amount of time. Well, let me just say, the people you interact with, they might be, and not due to death. Could be death. But it could be that they their parents got a job in another place and they're no longer in school with you. They moved. They're not there. It could be the person you work alongside, they move. And you're one and only shot. You had an investment in their life or to receive from them is over because they moved. And I can go on with that illustration, but people come in and out of our life all the time. And our one and only shot for them to put into us and us to put into them and us to interact with them is now. And so we don't know what our tomorrows holds. And, he's, and, and James is trying to drive that point home. He says it's like a morning fog. I mean, it's there, but it's gone as soon as the sun beats down on it. It's, it's gone. And people in our life can happen that way. And customers can go away. I remember in one day, I lost 25% of my business with a customer who just left. Boom. And yet, I still have rent and warehouse and people and computers and all this stuff that I had to do. I didn't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. It can be here and like a morning fog, it can go away. But if I told you with certainty, you're going to say, Pat, you can't. Well, just stick with me. It's an illustration, right? Uh, if I told you with certainty that I had a stockbroker who could take $100 and turn it into a million dollars, you just had to be on this conference call, and he was going to tell you exactly what to do. And for some reason, you actually believed me, and you got, what would you do? You would, you would figure out how to get on the conference call. Well, there is one who knows our tomorrows, every aspect of your tomorrow, financially, relationally, morally, preparation for future things he knows it all with certainty i can tell you he knows your tomorrow and he knows what's going on and so doesn't it make sense that we spend whatever time it takes whatever effort it takes to hear what he has to say i mean again coming back from my business background when i knew that a certain person could help change our business or company if I could just secure that client, I was all in. I was focused, and I was going there. I'll use George as an example. He knows what his competitors lift. And so he knows where their max is so far, and he looks at where he's at, and he's saying, you know what? If I work just a little harder, I think I can catch that person and I can move up a ranking. Move from third place in the world to second place in the world. I know where that second place person is. I think I can get there. I think I can get there. And so he goes for it. 
And so God, who holds all our answers, he has these answers, and we just have to be willing to go after him. We have these limitations. We have boundaries. We don't know the future. We don't know time, and we don't know how everything interacts. Life is an interaction of a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts in any one of your days. You know, as a young person, you're trying to figure maybe where do you go to college? Where's your, where's your job going to be? What, what do you want to do? What, what prep do I have to do to get there? We older geezers, we have to do that too. We have to plan things out. But it makes a difference when we go after God. We have to seek his plan before asking him to accept our plan. We have to seek his plan. God, I'm not just going to ask you to bless my plan. What do you have on your agenda? I was uh, talking to one of my friends uh, earlier today before we actually started the service, and, and I, I was saying, uh, I don't know why it works this way, but here's how it works sometimes between me and God. Um, I go to him and I say, God, I need to know what to do about this. Just pick something, doesn't matter. Uh, I need to know what, uh, what to do about, do I go on this vacation or not? Because it's, um, I don't know, it'd be a long time away. Do I go there or not? And then God says, you're ready for the answer, right? And God says, call Bill and ask him to lunch. No, no, I'm, I'm asking about this vacation, God. Do I do it or not? Call Bill and go to lunch with him. And what I've discovered is I want God to answer my questions in my time. What I've discovered is if I will adjust my life and just do what's on his heart first, the other thing becomes pretty apparent. I don't know how that works that way. But I don't always find him answering my specific question. I have him directing me if I'm willing to be directed. So I got to do what's on God's heart first. And then my part will become clear. So sometimes when it says scripture's talking about our pretentious plans. Oh, I jumped ahead of myself. How do you like that? Let me say this first. Life has limitations, boundaries, and unknown timelines. I don't know the timelines. And it moves quicker than I initially imagined. I, I joke about it all the time that when I had red hair and a Fu Manchu mustache, um, uh, my kids were little. I put them in a wheelbarrow. And I rolled them around all the time. And that was fun. Something happened. I blinked and they got married. They grew up and they got married. And then, okay, I got to receive these sons-in-laws and learn how to deal with them and all that. I did it again. I blinked and they had seven grandchildren. I don't know how that happened. I blinked. Life happens fast. And we don't know the timelines. We have to realize that it happens quicker than we think. Like the fog illustration. 
it burns off pretty quick. For me not being able to see the lake from my back door to the fact I can see across the lake sometimes happens within a half hour. That's crazy. And so James 4, 15 and 16 says, What you ought to say is, If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. James is asking us to adjust our decision-making process. James is asking us to stop and consider the desires of God before our own desires, to seek his plan before asking him to accept our plan. That's what James is asking us to do. And then he calls our plans pretentious. What does that mean? Well, I think we all wrestle with this thing called self-righteousness. What is self-righteousness? Self-righteousness means I'm right. My way is right. What I'm thinking is right. And sometimes that's right. And sometimes it's not. So we have to be alert that our plan is just our plan that we think is right. And we got there from logic. You know, we, we, we got there from a logical way of our thinking, our thinking. But it was our thinking. It was void of asking God, what, what's, your, what's your view, Lord? What would you like to do? Void is a, just a word that means empty. It is like a soap bubble. There's nothing inside of a soap bubble. You can pop it and... It's gone. Nothing inside of a soap bubble. It's void of content. It's void of anything of substance. And sometimes our plans are soap bubbles. They're void of any real meat inside them. And God wants us to accept his plan. Our plan is formed from self-righteous thinking. Our plan sometimes is void of a God interaction. Our plan reflects our belief that our way is best. And, and I have to be willing to question that. I think the way that you keep your marriage together 43 years is you're willing to realize your, your way is not always right. And if it is right, it may not be right. If it is right, the execution of that you got to be real careful of because it may not be right. So that was, a, that was a hard one for this guy who operates in logic to think through. That um, just because you're right doesn't mean you're right. And that happens, you get these revelations when you're married. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You get these revelations when you're married. Um, it's there is a way to deal with things and to work together till you decide what is right. But James says that um, when we have an unmovable focus that our way is right apart from God's leadership, then he labels this 
evil. I don't like that. I mean, that's God's labeling, not my labeling. This isn't my opinion I'm giving you. This is, I'm just reading the word. He says that otherwise you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. All my great confidence is evil. So I need to be able to have something that God labels as his that I have adopted. It's good to know what he thinks. So my sharing is, um, let me tell you what my purpose is on Sunday mornings. My purpose is not to inform you alone. My purpose is not even to tell you what a scripture necessarily means alone. My purpose is that you would be transformed by the power of the living God through his word. That's my purpose. Transformation, not information. So if you're coming and saying, I didn't learn a lot. Okay. Okay. But was something that was said, the Holy Spirit mixed something of what I said, and your life was transformed, your thinking was transformed, the, how far you let your emotions drift and lead you was transformed. That's our purpose is to help you transform your thinking, your feelings, your attitudes and actions from where you are now to the big calling that Jesus has for you. Jesus has a big calling for you. Oh, you mean I'm going to be pastor? No. Not necessarily. Maybe. Maybe it's running a business. Maybe it's raising a child who's going to be the next Billy Graham. I don't know, but it's a big calling. Otherwise, he wouldn't have invented you. You wouldn't even be born. Why does he give us individual fingerprints? Why does he do that? Because you're special, and you have a plan and a purpose while you're on this earth. And it's interwoven with others. By the way, he didn't make us a bunch of islands. He made us to get together and accomplish something bigger than we could do individually. He calls that, by the way, his church. So he wants to transform our thinking, our feelings, our attitudes, our actions, our habits. So as we consider verse 16, the trouble with being proud of my plan, who gave you your intellect? Who allows you to have the job that you have that provides income? Who allowed your possessions to last and accumulate? Who gave you the health that you can even continue? Until you have a health crisis, you don't understand how important that is. Especially when you're young and you think you're indestructible. The problem with guys my age is we think we're young and indestructible, and we're not. God gave us our health. God gave us our abilities. God gave us our minds. God gave us our emotions. God gave us our friendships. God gave us our job. God gave you your house. God is the one who is allowing these things to happen. Now, are you responsible for what God gives? I hope so. 
Because then it really gets great. When you're not responsible with what he gives you, not so much. I think what he's trying to tell us in these few short scriptures is, please, don't just build your life around you. Build it around me. If you will build your life on me and what I'm trying to expose to you, your life will be different. You will have my stamp of approval. What happens when you get God's favor? Oh, all kind of cool things. You know, sometimes we say the grace of God is like the power of God. It's also like the favor of God. Just like we said last week in James 4, 6, when we said that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, the opposing, who's going to win that battle? Who's going to win that tug of war? And the favor, when he gives his grace, his favor, who can give more favor than God? So this is a big deal that he's trying to get across to us. Choosing your purposes for your day produces a man-oriented result. You're going to get a result. Isn't that cool? God always has this thing he talks about in Scripture. A person sows, then they reap. You sow an apple tree, you get an apple tree. You don't get an orange tree. You, but you do get a tree. You sow and you reap. And so it's like a thing that he built into the world. And so when you choose your purposes and your plan, you're going to get a man-oriented result. However, if you discover, if you go after, if you seek God's purposes and plan for a day, you're going to produce a God result. That's really cool. I've seen that happen. You've seen that happen. Come on. Review your life a little bit. Hit the playback button. Look a little bit. You've seen some God moves. You saw him save you from something that should have smashed you. You saw him give you grace and, you know, you weren't all of that. But he poured out some cool things. You've seen, I'm not talking about things you don't know that are true. They're true because his word says it, and they're true because you've experientially been a part of it. Choosing your purposes for your day produces a man's oriented result, a man-oriented result. Discovering God's purposes for your day produces a God result. So earlier, when I said we're going to kind of wind up chapter 4, it all but one verse, right? I left out one verse. I left out verse 17 because I really wanted you to concentrate on what we just talked about because this verse alone just is heavy duty and, and I didn't want to get us thinking about it. So we're going to look at James chapter 4, the final verse, verse 17, and see what it says. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So there's a lot in this um, verse. Uh, do you follow through with the things God so graciously reveals to you? Do you follow through? Not do you know them. Yeah, I heard it. 
Yeah, I even know what he's talking about. Do you follow through with them? You know, God in his kindness uh, brings to light certain things when we ask him. We hear it, but do we do it? We hear it, we weigh it. Do we do it? We hear it, we weigh it, we talk to somebody else about it. Do we do it? The big insight James is giving us is this. Sin is knowing what to do, but choosing any decision or indecision not to do it. You know what to do, but either by what you directly did or what you chose not to do, you didn't do it. Well, I didn't mean to do it that way. Okay, it's just like the courts of law in the United States. You know, they say um, ignorance is not an excuse. The law is the law. So either by the decision or by negligence, you didn't follow through with what he exposed. So my decision, indecision, negligence, it all matters. And now I got one more interesting thing out of this verse that might freak you out a little bit. It's, What's a sin to me may not be a sin to you. And what is a sin to you may not be a sin to me. Oh my goodness, what are you saying? Well, I'm not talking about things like the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the other things God makes really clear. I'm talking about the things where you ask God a question. He is so kind. He gives you the answer and you choose not to do it. Sin to you, according to the scripture. God is looking for us to be responsible people. He's looking for Pat to, to care so much and value so much his word that I do what he says. And I'm going to reap a blessing from it. That's the other cool thing. It's not just do what I say because I said it. There's a blessing that's going to follow obedience. There's always a blessing that follows obedience. So I've got to realize you don't necessarily have to do what God told me to do. But to me, to not do it through decision or indecision is a sin. And the same thing for you. In his kindness, he's going to answer some of your questions and give you some of these insights because he loves you. But he doesn't want you to shop his opinion and then do whatever you want. He wants to reveal it to you to do it. And I think, uh, I've, I've said this so many times, but it's been so helpful to me in my life. You know, I... I uh, so I keep repeating this about every few months because it means a lot to me. And that is this. I was going to God and I was asking to hear him more. And he says, you will hear more when you do more of what you hear. In other words, Pat, if you ask me and I tell you, just do it. I mean, why do I even waste my breath on you? Now, he doesn't say that, and that's not scriptural, what I just said. But, but I feel like... If I were God, I would say, why do I even waste my breath? You're not going to do it. So 
I think you can actually invite hearing God better by following through with what he already reveals. So when we reveal we're honoring his word, we're saying what you say matters, God, and I'm going to follow through. And that, like, invites further interaction with God. It's just so cool. And so I want to kind of end today um, just reminding you of one thing. James is not, nor am I, trying to put you back under the law. I'm not trying to say to you that gut it out, make good decisions, follow through, and all is right. Yeah, well, there's an aspect of that that's true because God honors his law. But I'm not trying to say that you can follow through with everything just by gutting it out or by your great performance because we are people. So don't think I'm now negating everything I'm saying. I'm just acknowledging we are people. We mess up. We serve a God who will forgive. The enemy wants to shame you for your mess up. God wants to redeem you for your mess up, that you are redeemed and reinserted into the life he has for you through Jesus Christ. And so we read this wonderful verse, Philippians 2.13, and it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Thank you, Lord, that you help me bend my will towards you. Thank you, Lord, that you help me not be stuck forever in just doing my own thing. Thank you, God, that you are working in me to will and to want to do your good pleasure. Thank you, Lord. He wants to empower you to do that. And so, one of the big things that I see as we're, we're just through uh, James's area where he's talking about building genuine faith uh, and yet he's talking about some hard things that maybe we haven't been doing like trusting the one who knows our tomorrows what he's trying to do is he's coming after your heart he's coming after your heart God is always coming after your heart he just doesn't want your obedience he wants your heart he's after your heart If you will yield your heart to him, you have no clue what kind of power and favor gets poured out to be used in his purposes. It it is amazing. He's after our heart. He wants to capture our heart. And all this, as he captures our heart and we join him in what he is doing, that 90%, 10%, the percentages start to change. You start seeing and experiencing some really cool things as we walk by faith that we wouldn't otherwise do if we just followed our own plan. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day where you allowed your servant James to open our eyes. I thank you that you have opened our eyes that we don't know what our tomorrow's are all about just because we expect it to be similar to yesterday doesn't mean it will be you know the tomorrows you know what's going to happen you know how everything interrelates we don't 
We are not God, you are God. We are but people. But you, out of your great kindness and through your son Jesus, want to expose your purposes to us. God, help us to seek you and want to hear what you have without shopping your opinion. Your your view, God, is truth. Everything else is a guess. God, we want to walk by your truth. And Lord, we don't want to treat your word as if it's a soap bubble without content, without solidity. For what you say is always true. We don't want to take your name in vain, in emptiness, as if it's a soap bubble. It's not just taking your name, O God, in vain by cursing. It's taking your name in vain by you caring enough to show us, and we don't do it. Lord, we want to alter the way we process our thinking. We want to alter the way we begin our days. We want to alter the way that we handle your amazing word. We don't want to be stuck, God. We don't want to just continue our days repetitively without being transformed. You want to transform us, God. So, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now and move upon people that would cause them to want to repent and seek first each day. So, you know, not so much for me to see. I'm just asking you as your eyes are closed, as, 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 a, as an action of your will, raise your hand to the Lord if that's you. If you want to say, God, I want to view my pursuit of you different and seeking you tomorrow. Okay. Now. I'm just letting you know something. If you don't raise your hand on that question, you basically are saying to God, I really don't care what you have to say. I think that way, guys. I'm so sorry. I do. I think black and white. I think high contrast. I think actualities. If I'm not willing to hear your voice, God, and change me, then I want to stay where I am. So I'm going to ask you again, because maybe you didn't catch that. If you want to have your days transformed, raise your hand. Father, I just ask, because of the action of those that raise their hand, I ask that you would grace them with this desire, the ability to have their wills transformed. For it is God who works within us to will and to want to do his good pleasure. God, I ask that you would help them bend their want-tos. Help them bend their want-tos, their desires to pursue you, holy God. God, with those raising of the hands, they're saying, I need 
your assistance because I haven't been able to do it on my own always. And so, Lord, I raise my hand, too, because I need my want-tos totally transformed by your Spirit. I ask, O Holy Spirit, that tomorrow will be different because we chose to seek after you wholeheartedly. Holy Spirit, come in power, grace us with your presence, grace us with your favor, that we may turn our wills to you, that we may start walking in the power of you instead of our own limitations. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good stuff? The word is good. It's loaded. Um, I want to plant a seed. Next week is Father's Day. Then um, the week after that, we're continuing in James. And then two weeks after that, so I guess it's like the 10th, July 10th. We will be in the last section of chapter 5. We're closing out James. In that section, it's talking about miraculous healing of the living God. If you have any friends, any family that have a severe or mild, I don't care, health issue, I believe with all my heart it's going to bring immense divine healing on that Sunday, July 10th. Ask them to come to freedom. I don't care if they ever back if they go to another church that's fine but if they need healing we're going to be discussing that in our final time in James James chapter 5 about the power of the living God this has nothing to do with me has everything to do with him he is amazing he heals today his word is strong. His giftings flow. He is going to heal. I trust that. I'm not demanding of that of him because he just does it. That's who he is. And so that day, out of the authority of his word, I believe there will be a lot of healings. So if you have a friend or a family that is in need of healing, July 10th, invite them. And um, by God's great power and grace and mercy, um, there's going to be some really cool things happen. Okay? Does that sound cool? Oh, come on. That's really cool. I mean, if you've never seen a physical healing, it blows your mind. It messes with your faith forever. The first blind person I saw got get sight changed me forever. The first deaf person I saw who was deaf from birth be able to hear changed me forever. All you need to do is see a miracle, and suddenly all this is no longer history, and it's no longer good moral things to live your life by. It also is the truth of the living God, of the living God invading the natural and doing anything he wants, because he's God. So everything changes July 10th. So invite somebody. God bless you. If there's anything we can pray for you on, Please come forward, see Pastor Stan right here, and um, Dan and Roe, if you don't mind also helping us, that would be great. God bless you. Have a great week.